0: In our podcast, we will share your stories as we talk to military service members, professionals, parents, and military kids. Please like, share, and subscribe. And we appreciate your comments, questions, and ideas for topics that you would like to hear more about. So we want to thank HEV for making today's podcast possible. HEB makes it a priority to get involved and make a difference in the lives of friends and neighbors. HEB Operation Appreciation is a company-wide campaign created to honor the brave men and women of the U.S. Armed Forces. Men and women who are HEB partners and customers, friends, and family. Operation Appreciation partners with organizations like us, the Military Child Education Coalition that supports U.S. troops and their families. In contributing time, talent, and financial support, H-E-B recognizes and appreciates the dedication and sacrifices service members make on behalf of the nation. So for our listeners in Texas, check out one of your neighborhood H-E-B grocery stores. And H-E-B, thank you for sponsoring this podcast.
1: I have to say, if you've never filled out the FAFSA before, all the hype behind it can I mean, it's definitely overwhelming. So, you know, somebody who's done the FAFSA before, I guess, what would you suggest to me to pay attention to?
2: I would really pay attention to making sure that you fill out your information correctly and as weird as this sounds, social security numbers and all of that stuff has to be accurate. So the way we did it is we actually sat down with our student and we went through it together because I think it's important that the student also is involved in the process and of course there is also that that section in the beginning where the student has to provide some information and in my opinion it's a good learning opportunity you know they are young adults now and it's a good idea for them to also start filling out these forms, not always mom and dad doing these kind of things for them. And yeah, so that was a good occasion uh, to figure out that he still doesn't know his social security number. So <laughs> that was one of those things. Oh, I know,
1: right. I don't think Hudson knows his. I think he knows arts just because we have to give it so much. But um, mm-hmm. no, I, I mean, I think that's a good point is to, to make sure that they're kind of participating with us. But what I didn't realize, at least initially, was that we needed two different FSA IDs. And so we had tried to go on there with just one and then realized later that I, as a parent, we needed our own FSA ID as like a le- legal signature. So that was kind of a good learning lesson because you know those can take up to three days to get. So did you guys kind of come across that experience too?
2: Yeah, and um, that is different from all the other forms of things that you do, because typically, you know, you get the username and a password and then you you fill it out, but it kind of makes sense. And also, here's a tip that I picked up when they're asking for uh, the student's email, not to use their high school email because, you know, they're going to leave high school. And once you have that FSA ID, you can use it again during the following years because, you know, you have to fill out the FAFSA every year and, yeah, they don't want a high school email address and then they're leaving high school and they have to start that entire process again.
1: That's a great point. You know, in fact, we actually set up a email account just for college stuff. So whether it's scholarships, whether it's the financial aid stuff for Hudson, that way all the emails are going into that one account and they don't get lost in spam and they don't get kind of intermixed and certainly since he's not going to have his high school email address next year, I thought this way we can continue it on for, for all four years. So, But I got to tell you, I'm curious if you guys use the data retrieval tool Was that available when you first filled out the FAFSA? Mm -hmm.
2: Yes, so we used it. And I know some people are like, I don't want to do that. But at least from personal experience, I found it very helpful. It was very easy. Of course, you have to have your, your taxes filed. And it just kind of populates all the fields. And then you know that all those numbers are correct because, you know, you filed your taxes and they're verified and you don't have to go through stacks and stacks of paperwork and calculator and figuring out all of those numbers again. So personally I found that very helpful because then I didn't have to to worry about, okay, I should have put this number in a different box, or look at those little help buttons that they have to, and read through it again and again, and to make sure that we are putting in those numbers correctly. So the IRS retrieval tool, in my opinion, is really a nice tool to use. Have you used it already, Susan?
1: I haven't. We've just started filling out the FAFSA, so I haven't got that for yet. But remind me, is it? So when we put it in for our taxes, is it the prior, prior year? So for example, if we're filing for our son to go to school for 2020, we actually need taxes from 2018. Is that right?
2: Yeah, that's correct, 2018. Because, well, right now we have October 19, and you wouldn't have your taxes filed yet for 2019. So for the IRS retrieval tool, it would be all that tax information from 2018. Now, the uh, FAFSA is also going to ask you questions about your personal information, and that of course would not be based on 2018. It it kind of makes sense, and I know I say that because one of the um, neighbors that I have here. She asked me the other day about that and she had also heard about the prior prior year, so kind of okay so we need to fill out information from 2018, like all of our information from 2018. And I was like no it's just that the tax information is from 2018. All the other information is your current information of course.
1: Which totally the way you explain it totally makes sense because being military Everything's kind of, at least for our family, and I'm sure with a lot of other families, it can change from year to year every two years, you know. Currently, we're receiving combat pay because my husband's deployed, but everything can be different. The following year, you may not be receiving combat pay, or uh, if your service member is retired, you know, you may be receiving disability. I feel like the military families, everybody's so unique in terms of, the, the resources or the benefits they have for their military family that it can it can get a little bit tricky. So what should I pay attention to in terms of like general benefits that military families get that maybe shouldn't be on the FAFSA or maybe they should?
2: If you're getting any BAH, Basic Allowance for Housing, that you don't have to include on a FAFSA as income, but if you're getting any Basic allowance for subsistence, that's the BAS, you would include it. And also for civilians, since we're civilians now, so we have to include a living quarter allowance, because that is now different for, for civilians opposed to active duty. And retirement accounts are another good area to watch out for, so if you have a TSP, That is retirement account, just like a 401k. And so as retirement accounts, it it doesn't really count against you. You don't have to include it as income on your FAFSA. So, So that's also good to know. One advice I can give and sometimes you just have questions, you know, based on your particular situation or financial situation or maybe accounts you have or a residency, always contact FAFSA. So we are overseas right now and even for us it was very easy. You just get on the computer and you get on that FAFSA help and it literally took maybe a minute and a half and I was able to chat with somebody and ask all my questions and uh, the person I chatted with was very because I had def- different questions. <laughs> Absolutely. But, you know, she, she answered all of those questions, so I felt pretty comfortable after that, that I'm filling it out correctly.
1: You know, we actually have used that same feature. I went ahead because, Being it's our first time I feel like I have a million questions so I used the the feature where you could email the question directly and then that way I'd have documentation and I was asking about scholarships because our sons already received one and I didn't know whether to include that on the FAFSA and it's interesting a lot of the information is coming back to that tax you know your taxes that you filled out and they had told us that if we had not reported the scholarship as taxable income because it was being used for educational benefit or could be used for educational benefits, then we don't have to report it on the FAFSA. So, but it, it definitely, the more questions I ask, the more it comes back to the the taxes that we filed in 2018. And I have to say, I'm definitely going to use that that retrieval tool because it seems to take the complication part out of it, because you've already sort of navigated a lot of this information when you filed. So it, it's definitely been helpful for us. I'll, I'll see how it goes as we keep we keep filling it in. So, but talking about residency, I'm so glad you mentioned to me about the Higher Education Act, um, you know, cause we're kind of in that situation. We're currently living, stationed, I should say, in North Carolina, you know, our home of record is, uh, at least for my husband, isn't in North Carolina. And I was really stressing out that Hudson was going to go from in-state tuition to out-of-state tuition when we eventually PCS'd. But can you go over the Higher Education Act again just to make sure I have it right?
2: Yeah, so under the Higher Education Opportunity Act, you have to be active duty and there are a lot of benefits. So when you are permanently stationed in a state, let's use North, North Carolina, so your active duty family permanently stationed in North Carolina, then your child can get in-state tuition at a public university. And there is not a wait period and they can start with in-state tuition. And let's say you move out of that state because you know you're getting PCS orders and you move to, to Germany. <laughs> So, as long as your student is continuously enrolled in that public university in North Carolina, they're going to receive in-state tuition, even after the active-duty service member is transferred somewhere else. And I think that's a benefit that it may not apply to to a lot of families, but if you're an active-duty family and you're in that situation, be aware of it and take advantage of it. Now, there are some caveats that states have to receive certain funding, but it really applies to most states, but if you're interested, we can put the the link in our notes, and you can follow that link and read some more information about that to to make sure that it applies in your personal situation. Yeah,
1: no, I think it's super helpful to to know about the Higher Education Act because I'm I'm sure we're not the only family that potentially could be moving after or PCSing, I should say, because we're active duty after our son's senior year. But not that I, not to confuse it though with utilizing your GI Bill, and how some states will authorize you in-state tuition with your GI benefits. This is something separate, right? The two are not. It's
2: completely separate, yes. So, we are also using the GI Bill right now, and under the GI Bill, um, your student is eligible to receive in-state tuition when they're using the GI Bill. However, as another caveat, sometimes, you know, I I like to think of these as the fine prints. The VA also says that the schools or the individual school is allowed to require some some additional proof or residency requirements. Personally, I am not aware of any public university that has ever denied a student in state tuition when they're using the GI Bill, but uh, I think it would be a good idea to just double check that that little point, just to make sure. Now the thing is when your student is using a GI Bill and they're getting in state tuition, that's great, but if you have multiple kids and you've split the GI Bill and, let's say, after two years the GI Bill runs out, there are schools out there that convert back to out-of-state tuition. Interesting. So okay. That is not nice at all. No. If you don't know that beforehand, that can be a big surprise because you're thinking, okay, we're using the GI Bill in-state, and then my student is going to school in that particular state. so. Yeah, you would think after a while, you know, they're automatically residents of that state because sure. they, they're they going to school there, but uh, individual states, they have different requirements and sometimes that's not the case and then you're back to out of state. So again, before I let my student commit, I would really get in contact with that financial aid office and just to double check, okay, what happens when our GI Bill runs out? What's going to happen to our tuition? Just to make sure about that little point there.
1: I think that's a great point and that's definitely going to be one of the questions when we're looking at schools to ask because we are in that situation with three kids. You know, our oldest only has a year and a few months. Uh, with the GI Bill, which I know is super helpful. The GI Bill doesn't do it by calendar year. It actually does it by uh, months that you're in, you're actually enrolled. So that might help stretch a little bit longer than a year. But certainly that would be a big sticker shock that once your benefits round out, if the school decided to then put you back in out-of-state tuition, I mean, I, I can't even imagine um, what would, what would happen in that case? So we're definitely gonna look into, look into that ahead. And then in terms of like the GI Bill and scholarships, do schools make you, or have you seen where schools will have you utilize the GI Bill first, then utilize scholarships? Do you have a choice when, when, when you have different options like that in terms of what monies can be used first?
2: So it really depends on how the scholarship is coded. So, um, let's say you have a a scholarship directly from, from the school and our son has one, he has a merit scholarship from the school. And that merit scholarship only pays for tuition and fees. So, it's not a good thing because in that case, when, when you're thinking, okay, I'm using the GI Bill and the scholarship, I'm not going to pay an awful lot of money out of pocket. No, they're using the scholarship first, and then the, the GI Bill is going to pay the rest of the tuition and fees, and you're still left with a lot of the costs. So you really have to watch out for how the scholarship is coded. Some scholarships <laughs> that you get from directly from the schools, you can actually use for room and board, or it just is, is very broad, like all educational expenses like books or even laptop. And that's great because in that case you can use that scholarship for, for all those other little things. And it's really the same with scholarships that you get like on, on the installation. Like he got a scholarship from Wiesbaden Community Spouses Club that is very Generous and it is coded broadly. They are also called like unrestricted scholarships, well, and he could use okay. he could use those funds to pay for for things like um, like right now he's studying abroad and there's a lot of expenses with that. So he was able to use some of those funds for for books, especially dorm rooms. But some scholarships that you're getting from organizations or businesses, again if they're restricted only to be used for tuition and fees, yeah, then you're kind of left with tuition and fees only. And talking about the GI Bill again, a lot of people think that when you're using the GI Bill that basically you, you don't have to pay anything. So that was not our or is not our experience since we're still in the the middle of it. With a GI Bill, you're getting a stipend of $1,000 per year to pay for the books, and in in our son's case, he's in the health field, $1,000 per school year. You would think that that is enough money to pay for all the books, but it isn't. Isn't that shocking?
1: That That really is, and I think also, too, you get a maybe a a stipend or an allotted amount for room and board under the GI Bill, but it only covers when they're actually in that space. So if they're only in school for two weeks of December, is this correct, then they only receive BAH for that two weeks, even though you're still going to owe the full month to the school in terms of room and board.
2: Yeah, so the the room and board is a kind of a a flat fee um, just a room, so it, it that is a, a flat fee, and also the the meal plan or your board that is going to be a pl- uh, just a flat fee, and yes, so you you pay for it and you pay for it per semester, and as you just said, yes, the BAH is prorated, so if they're only in school like for for two weeks in December you're not going to get the entire month of BAH. But the thing is, with that um, housing allowance that they get, it really depends on the location, how much money you're going to get. So it depends on where the student is taking classes most of the time, physically located. So in some instances, you can get a lot of money every month, because you're in a high cost of living area. And in other cases, you don't get that much money every month because, you know, place is a little bit cheaper. So that can make a real difference because those dorm room fees can be very expensive. And from my experience, from my research, I've seen that most dorm rooms per semester are around $3,000, sometimes more, could be even up to $5,000. And in some instances, the BAH that you get from from that GI Bill is not going to, to cover all the dorm room fees. And then you still have the meal plan. I don't know, Susan, as you're looking at colleges, you probably have seen that colleges have different meal plans. They and do. Sometimes they, they require the freshman to have to, they have to sign up for that entire full meal plan. and. Oh my gosh, I think we're paying right now like I want to say like $3,200 mm. per sure. semester just for wow. food for that for that meal plan.
1: And and certainly for some kids I know my my middle son, he's hungry all the time. So that prob <laughs> we would probably break even on a meal plan like that. But for other kids, I mean, that's something you have to factor into and as you mentioned, you know some of these restricted scholarships, you're almost applying for scholarships for money that maybe it's already going to be covered through an aid package to the school or through the GI Bill. But Mm -hmm. if it's restricted, it's not not going to cover non-educational benefits. And I know they consider meal plans, which can, as you said, can be Really expensive um, so you're still trying to have to you know kind of come up with that expense so I think you've really touched upon something though that it's smart is to do the research don't just assume that the GI Bill is a blanket check for every expense for college you know actually get on and do the cost calculator with college and it will add in everything, you know, tuition, books, housing, meal plan, travel, so that you get a more accurate understanding of what it's really going to cost and really understand what benefits you have available, whether it's the GI Bill, whether it's a restricted or unrestricted scholarship. I mean, I think there's there's definitely a lot more strategy to it than when I went to school for sure.
2: Mm -hmm. I, I, I agree with that it definitely hasn't gotten any easier or or simpler, right? (laughs) I mean, just looking at it, it has become so much more complicated in the recent years and um, you really have to do your research, as you said, to to figure out in the end, okay, what is really the the best choice for our student, because I also want to say that you shouldn't just go, in most cases, you shouldn't just go by how much a school is going to cost you, and just select the cheapest. Because you know there's also that little element that the student has to be happy there. And actually, well, you want them to succeed, and you want them to graduate and, and actually get a degree and not drop out. But uh, that entire financial aspect, that, that can make a big difference. So, yeah, definitely research.
1: Absolutely. Well, I appreciate the, the advice. We're definitely going to take everything. I've been making notes and taking everything to heart, so I'm just glad I have you to, to partner with me on this journey uh, as we navigate all things with the college.
2: Oh, anytime. time. This is fun. Let's do this again sometime.
0: Sounds good. I want to thank you again for listening to our podcast, For the Sake of the Child. We would like to invite you to visit our website at www.militarychild.org. Like the MSEC on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Please join us again next time as we share more stories that impact our military-connected kids.